questions and shit. Oh, a good idea. <laughs> it's only it's only the entire show. So <laughs> and welcome to another episode of Rebel City Podcast. Uh, it's been a while, winter. It certainly feels like it. We've been running through a bit of backlog episodes, but for us, there's been a significant break mm-hmm. in play. In your new job, yes, <laughs> which has gone well, I suppose. Aye, aye. So it's, it's all good. It's just getting to know everybody, getting to know the place. It's a uh, work in progress. As I'm sure every new job is pretty shite for a wee bit. Um, this week's guest, <laughs> hopefully nobody in your lot listens to this. I will this, certainly hope no now. This week's guest is Out for in- Independence or Out for Indy. I've put Out for Indy in my show, but it's Out same for Independence. Thing. It's the same thing, isn't it? So welcome ladies, how's it going? Not bad. Yeah, not too bad. Um, cold wine this morning, but it's all right. Oh, I was in Newcastle yesterday for work and it was... So cold in Newcastle, it's like ridiculous. Is it? How can it be cold on England and with us in Scotland? And, it and it's because they're all bastards, <laughs> <laughs> especially after last week. Right, what was it? Anglophobic? <laughs> I'm not anglophobic. We'll go, we'll go for the full set till you stop voting for people like Boris Johnson. I'm going to continue to call you bastards, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, so out for indie, like we like to give everybody like a, an opportunity to just explain who they are and like what what it is that we're here to talk about just as we get going. So what is Out for Indie? So Out for Indie is basically the LGBTQI plus wing of the SNP. Um, it has been around for a while, but it was dormant for quite a while and it was relaunched earlier this year. Um, July, wasn't it? I think around it was around about, around about July, August time. Okay. It was relaunched. Um. So basically, it's kind of our job to, you know, encourage LGBT plus people to to join the party. Mm -hmm. And obviously the other side of that is to make sure the party is including LGBT people in the conversations (coughs) and introducing progressive legislation. Cool. Basically it. A nice summary. Aye. So in terms of the sort of independence element, I'm intrigued as to, was it, independence that drew you, was the independence that brought you together or was it the sort of other way around? You were already out there campaigning on your own issues and found the SNP to be you know, a useful vehicle or is it somewhere in the middle? Where does the, the, the sort of origins of the group, where did you that original sort of sprout up out of? You probably know more about the origins than I do. I was only elected not too long ago. Uh, I mean... The origins, I think it was Kirsty Blackman and Stuart McDonald who mm-hmm. were originally um, okay. brought out for Indy together. Um, I, I guess it's it's an individual thing as well as to how people got, got involved. Right. And for me, I, I was very much an LGBT campaigner, okay, but also fully support an independent Scotland. Mm-hmm. So the, the two running so the, sort of tandem for you. So the two seem you. to match and it's like, right, okay, <clears> this is a good place to go and... and Aye. I mean, I don't, I'm not hugely conscious, I'm sure that we'll get tweets correcting us, but, um, you know, other 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 political parties in Scotland with similar wings to their parties? I think every wing, uh, uh, every party in Scotland does have an LGBT wing, if I'm correct. Yeah, we uh-huh. we did a joint statement, statement. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of months ago, and we had LGBT wing of Scottish Labour, Rainbow Greens, I think right. the Lib Dems is a... a a national side because they don't have a mm-hmm. specific Scottish base. Right. Um, 
but the rest of them are, they all day have LGBT wings. So that means political is actually able to find common ground across the sort of political divides because that's probably something that, like, we could do with a lot merit, to be honest with Absolutely. you. You know what I mean? Like, we're starting to see noises post-election about maybe the Labour Party being a wee bit more open towards things like self-determination and whatnot. And, like, I think <clears throat> for our overall goals in terms of, like, an independence movement to be achieved, we need, like, as broad a church as possible. So I think that's pretty cool that you have actually got these connections across the political divide because in Scotland, you know, we probably don't need to tell you about contentious debate at this point, you know what I mean? Like, but, like nationalism and unionism don't always find a lot of common ground, so I think that's pretty cool that you do. So, see, so you guys obviously, like, you are involved in, like, a political movement in this. Like, what are the main battles do you think that need to still be won in the wider movement, especially in Scotland? Because we're painted as, like, a progressive country, and some of the, the, the things that we meet yeah. and some of the, pro, the the people that we speak to, it's that Scotland isn't quite as progressive as what we think it is. But what other sort of, uh, so what are the battles that you think that need to be won? See, we are, we're leading the way in a lot of aspects of like LGBT equality and things like that. But of course, things like the uh, Gender Recognition Act, which is in desperate need of reform, mm-hmm. um, that needs to be reformed. That's definitely a big issue. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if, if for anybody out there that doesn't know the sort of current sort of state of play, where are we with sort of gender recognition in Scotland like right now in 2019? Well, the the draft bill was put out by the government yesterday, um, which is open to consultation again. Mm-hmm. And I know sometimes people refer to this as like a sitting consultation, but it's no. This is a consultation specifically on what's contained in the bill, mm-hmm. which if you look back, it's the exact same way the same-sex marriage debate was done. Okay. There was an initial consultation on what people wanted to see, and then there was a consultation on the actual draft bill that was going to go for legislation. Mm-hmm. So it's the same kind of process we're following here. Makes sense. Um, so as it stands at the minute, where would where would you probably say that <clears throat> the, the gender recognition that's in place just now, if there is such a thing or we're still debating it, like where is the main failings in that? that you're looking to seek sort of reform in? The process of it, really. um, Currently, um, applicants who want to change. So basically, do you know that the background of it, it's like just, it's changing. Very sort of broad strokes. Your birth certificate to match your other legal documents. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, It's the way that applicants need to go about it. It's, you need to have like a medical assessment, um, which can be traumatic (coughs) and... uh, if, right, if you're okay. going into the NHS, and it, as we as we know, I mean, just as you say that, like, even going with basic mental health issues to the NHS is a difficult process to go through. So I, I don't even can't even imagine what it must be like to try and get somebody in front of you that understands if you're going through like transitioning. I mean, I don't think a GP is going to cut it really, but I don't I don't really see there being provisions or services available there that are actually adequate to to help people through that process like right now in the NHS. Well, you'll have no, and I, I guess what I wanted to say was, you know, when we're talking about where do we still need to go, mm-hmm. I think the GRA is, is important for a lot of trans people. Okay. It, it, it gets all your documents to match up, you know, it means you're legally <laughs> seen as, as who you are. Mm-hmm. This might sound crazy, but we actually want to be buried as who we were as well. You know, okay. we want our deaths to be recorded as how we live our lives, yeah. you know, as something else. That 
that's an important part. That makes perfect sense. Um, you know, so some people say it's just about marriage. Well, I, it can be about marriage, but it's also about being recorded as who you are in every aspect of your life. Yeah. But probably the more important thing for trans people and, and where we still need to do a lot of work is healthcare. Right. Because the healthcare system is, is still shockingly bad as far as trans healthcare goes. Okay. And is there maybe like a, a generic example of what kind of challenges trans people face when they encounter the NHS? Is it... We're, st- we're still in a place... Is it just across the board? Kind of across the board. I mean, we're still in a place where you can have quite a few GPs who will just refuse to treat you. So you might have to move a route to you find a GP that will actually do something for you. Okay. GPs might refuse... Did not expect that. Somebody yeah. who took an oath to do no harm can turn you away. You can get, you, you can, if you start, some people start <clears throat> hormones before they get to a gender identity clinic, right? Okay. Because it might take 18 months to get to a clinic and then you might have another three or four months before, before they decide, right, okay, we'll start you on hormones. Mm-hmm. A lot of trans people are obviously in major distress by the time they've actually got to the point of coming out as trans. So they want to do something as quickly as they can. So they'll access hormones maybe on a private prescription or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then you can go to your GP and say, right, well, you take this over to shared care and your GP should be doing, you know, like blood tests and stuff like that okay. to make sure you're safe. But even simple stuff like that is difficult to get done. Well, You know, they won't take on your prescriptions a lot of the time. They're like, no, I, I don't know enough about that to prescribe it. Or, okay. Know, all sorts of reasons. Do you think that that... <laughs> Well, do you think if that is the the genuine reason that they don't know enough about it, do you think that that's enough that they can just sort of like, I find that sort of, I mean, do GPs understand everything that comes into them? Like, do they they just, I don't know. I I guess for me, some of them, there is a, possibly a fear about being involved in something they don't know enough about. Mm -hmm. Right. And obviously the answer to that is they can go and educate themselves. But yeah, I think absolutely. there's also, for a large part, underlying prejudice that they don't believe in what you're doing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So they're using their power to try and When we were that. talking about the, the, the run into the episode, one of the things that came to me when we were talking about that question about what sort of battles need to be won, mm-hmm. it almost seems, and we were talking about this as well um, just before off mic, in sort of day-to-day life, you don't really seem to find that prejudice I mean, I, I don't see any sort of homophobia or transphobic behaviour in when I'm walking down I, the in street, the real world. In the real world, but there is institutionalised prejudice that sits, and that is still a front for gay and lesbian like people. But also, I mean, I can't even imagine what it would be like even just going for a job if you're a trans person, mm-hmm. and like the, the the sort of prejudice that they they find there, just sitting and trying to find work. Could be, I would imagine could be difficult. Um, but aye, there's this. There, there must be a lot of institutionalised prejudice towards trans people, just because of. I mean, hopefully, out of ignorance and fear, but I think perhaps there's there's a mere sort of. I think a lot of people's psyches, a lot of people's like understandings, like it's it is a relatively new concept for them, even though this is not just the same as gay and lesbian, bi people are not a new thing, just the way that non-binary are not a new thing. Like, just because society's talking about it more does not make it... Aye, I think it's important yeah. that we say to people, because there's a lot of people that listen to the podcast that are from Glasgow and the surrounding area, that trans and non-binary people have been about for 
forever. The internet did not create this phenomenon. It's yeah. like it, it, it's existed. I think that we were talking about um, gay rights in America, and it was a, a trans African American uh, woman that started the gay rights movement yeah. in America. Stonewall. And even even yes. I was a bit taken aback by that thinking that I started in the 50s or the 60s, but then had to give myself a bit of a slap to go, of course. Yeah. Like, of course, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's been... It, it didn't just start with the internet. Maybe the awareness for sort of normal people started mm-hmm. with the internet, but absolutely, it's like something that's Is been, there a been chance there. that in terms of, like, GPs and, like, the sort of, you know, medical establishment, that when they look at issues like maybe, um, you know, gender dysphoria or um, what's the what's the... Body, body dysmorphia, body dysmorphia and so it's gender I feel completely lost the word now anyway they look at these issues that trans people or non-binary people are experiencing in their lives as medical conditions um, is there a chance that maybe their reluctance to engage in these manners the way that your community would like is about them looking at it from a different perspective I think that's possible, and and you know we've brought up a few times already about you know gay and lesbian people and and how that used to be seen mm-hmm. and how it used to be diagnosed as a mental health condition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and trans has always historically been classed as a mental health condition, mm-hmm. which I think just makes people think well it's something in your head and we can just change that. Yeah, you know we can we can give you a drug or something like that and you'll feel all right mm-hmm. and you'll no need to transition, but you know through the years we've found out that doesn't actually work yeah. the only thing that works is actually allowing people to physically transition it's like ideas of transit uh, you know conversion therapy and all the rest of it it's just junk but, science in a lot of cases have, aye, we have got now the latest version of the diagnostic manual coming out the ICD-11 mm-hmm. has declassified trans as being a mental health issue right. and they've moved it into a new category it's a sexual health issue right okay, okay. so whether that so helps that's a change, positive move so that's a good positive move I think aye. Um, I think one of the things as well is we were, we were talking off mic and this is it's, it's weird for us to relate some of this stuff to your experience because again our experience is not mm-hmm. the experience of probably any of your members to be pro- you know brutally honest with you but at the same time I remember growing up in places you know like the 80s and 90s mm-hmm. as gay rights and you know lesbian rights and these things started to come more sort of societally conscious and people started to make you know moves to make it more acceptable and you know things that were talked about and there was a narrative that was there that sometimes I don't always necessarily feel is currently there for like trans non-binary people and you know the sort of myriad of um, kind of variations in people's sort of gender and sexuality that are out there you know I think some of the, the, the pushback that people get a lot is like they they maybe haven't had it contextualised properly for them you know obviously we hear a lot about the healthcare and the you know institutional and structural issues that he's faced once you know you come out as whatever you know variant of the LGBTQI kind of movement that you are, but like now it's because I think we've become so accepting as a society, people expect now just to be accepted, and I think there's a lot of people out there that probably need <coughs> you know the narrative that's maybe been missing in a lot of cases. Um, we're obviously really wary. I know everybody wants to feel like they need to come in and sort of justify themselves. So mm-hmm. we're not going to ask that. But like, is that something that maybe the community could do a bit better? Is actually, you know, not necessarily go and educate people, but like, you know, just sort of contextualize the actual experience and and how you come to the realizations are, you know, how your 
different in how these you know changes need to be sort of manifested within yourself. Like, I don't feel like when we were sort of putting the episode together, I was like, I don't think I've ever sat down and watched a, a documentary or listened to another podcast, maybe just out of my own fault near the net nails, you know, maybe that is out there. But I think there, there could definitely be a, a wider effort to like say to folk, no, look, this is the reality of who I'm or and why I'm who I'm or and I think that would be something that maybe help people actually get over some of the hurdles that, you know, they maybe have in their own minds. Is that something that rings true with you at all? I think we kind of try to do that as an, like an organisation. Yeah. I'm not trans myself. Uh-huh. I'm bisexual. Yeah. Um, and I know something that I've done. Uh, we celebrated Bisexuality Visibility Week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We all filmed videos about our experience, um, mm-hmm. how we came out, like how we found school and things like that. Like just talked about our experience. Yeah. Because um, you need to, I think that's how get people on your side when they realise it's a real issue affecting people's lives. Mm-hmm. There's a mistake I made one time where a friend who came out to me, I'll no name her in case you know, she's listening, but she had a, a night where she came out to me as gay uh-huh. and trying to like this, and this is where people like me maybe trip over their own feet a bit at times and maybe need that contextualisation because I kind of brushed it off as like people don't really care about that anymore, like oh power to you, great, you know doesn't change anything between us but like what I didn't acknowledge was that it was a big deal to her yeah, to tell absolutely. that story to me, even though I was like, I, I still love you, you're still my mate, there's nothing changed between us whatsoever. And I thought I was doing the right thing by being, what was Not eventually sure. like dismissive. Yeah, mm-hmm. like um, but again, it was that big deal on the other end that I've just not acknowledged because it's never been my journey. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I know I did get, um, a few years ago, I was doing counselling training and somebody actually said, why is it only the lesbians in the group that have actually came out and told people that they're lesbians? Mm-hmm. And they really, just, you know, they struggled to understand why we had to do that Yeah. when they didn't do it. And we were just like, but if we hadn't done it, you would just have assumed that we weren't. Yeah. You would assume we were straight. You would assume yeah. we had husbands or boyfriends or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, so when we're all sitting there talking about going out or going out for meals or whatever with our partners, you're assuming it's a guy, and to yeah. me that's disrespectful then, because mm-hmm. I need to let you know, no, actually it's no, you know. And I think that's why, because there's still such a big assumption of heteronormativity within society, yeah. everybody just assumes straight, unless you get told otherwise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So even though we're in a place now where I, you know, you're like, they came out as being gay, and you're like, so what's the problem? It's not a problem with you. But they know it might be a problem with a lot of other people. Of course. So it's still an important part of their identity to actually come out and say that. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think, I, I mean, I'm, I'm with Matt on, I'm like, I'm desperate to be an ally and I'm desperate to understand. But I feel that obviously you've been both brave enough to come in and speak about these issues. A lot of the time it's like a powder keg where people, and I understand, I get it, because I see the arguments that are made and it's been politicised so much, so I can, I can, and by the wrong people, do you know what I mean? Like, the, the, like Matt was saying earlier, the right wing are all this, they are all the misinformation and chat, I mean, we're, we're going to touch on some of the criticisms or some of the arguments that people make later on, but I, I, I genuinely, for people like me, and I know that, no, everybody's the same, yeah. but I, I th- I'm with Matt. I think that there needs to be 
more of a sort of narrative behind the sort of trans issue so that people can actually feel... I mean, I don't feel threatened by it in any way, shape or form. No. Absolutely not. But I see a lot of fear and see a lot of people that... I don't know why they feel this sort of threat running about this issue that... I think because um, their own gender or their own identity is so intrinsic to who they are that they can't imagine anything out with that, especially if they consider themselves like normal, you know, quote unquote. Like it's quite a, a challenging thing for somebody who is even like the, the non-binary, like the, you know, that kind of stuff as well, where it's, it's a big change for people who are like set in their ways, who don't really have that flexibility or, you know, openness to be like, do you know what? Like, go be you in whatever terms that is. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? It's just people's inability to imagine that other people are different. I'm a woman mm -hmm. and I have never felt threatened by trans people, a trans yeah. woman coming into the same bathroom as me or anything. Yeah. Like, there's a whole, there's a whole movement it. of this, yeah. there, especially in the sort of lesbian, where there, yeah. there's a, yeah. a prominent movement that you see. Yeah. In America, I think, where you see quite a lot of this, where the argument, I think, is a lot more sort of about religion and things where they use it there, but there's there's this movement of sort of females that think that trans rights are anti-feminist. Yeah. And I don't understand how that could be... For anybody listening to the audio, that was an absolute epic eye roll we got there for you. <laughs> 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 but it, it, is, it is a real movement. Are people yeah. in that? I mean, that no. it, it actually exists. But why do, why, why do you think that is? Like, what, what, what mindset does somebody that's that's out there fighting for their own equality. See others, others, some, somebody else. I, I see somebody else's fight for equality as a threat to their fight for equality. It's almost like playing into the hands, uh, the the norm or the the normal argument. Do you know what I mean? I think a lot of the misinformation that's spread has a huge impact on that. If you're if you're speaking to someone who maybe doesn't have like a not a knowledge about the issue. If you're just hearing one narrative about all these things that are bad about it, how it's going to infringe upon our rights yeah. and all that, of course you're going to hear this and then you're going to become scared and you're going to think, oh no, mm -hmm. like it's dangerous and stuff. But mm -hmm. it's a lot of the misinformation, I think, which is especially on Twitter. Yeah. I see yeah. it all the time and I read things and I'm like, that's just I think not that's been true. And when been... you research it, you find out that's not actually true. And I think that's why it's been important for us to actually have you in the day because, as I, I say, do. this is a story that, I've personally been following for a long time because, as you say, we, we do want to consider ourselves allies, but at the same time, we understand that if we don't approach it in the right way, there's a, a reasonable chance that we do may are harming good, particularly with a platform such as this. Um, but, like... <clears throat> lost, lost, it, lost the point. Lost it again. I'm <laughs> so full of coffee, it's not even funny. Um, I apologise. Um, we'll move on a wee bit for the, the kind of basics. Um, obviously, being a, a political organisation um, is become a bit of a lightning rod um, towards the sort of tail end of the election. Um, it seems as though a lot of the SNP policies that were in and around the manifesto and coming forward don't actually seem hugely unreasonable, you know what I mean, like in terms of the GRA reform, Equality Acts and self-ID and all these other things. Like, But the reaction to them, like, and especially in the last week or so of the election, I mean, there was some absolutely batshit conspiracy nonsense that we're not even going to like we're not going to get a name but like the debate around your specific organisation in the last 10 days or so of the election just got absolutely nonsensical I mean what is what is that like you're out there 
you're trying to do right by yourself and by your people, by your organisation, and then all of a sudden somebody comes at you with, you know, the bad pot to like a spy novel or some shit. You know what I mean? Like it was crazy. <laughs> it's just, it's, I'm, I don't know how they think we've got that much influence, how we can get people suspended and all that. Like, it's just mad. I don't understand Aye. it. The minority. So what are we uh, talking about here? Because I missed us. I get I get so yeah, caught up on the UK election that <laughs> I, I, been a lot. I missed us. Like I completely Matt was talking about it before we come on Mike and I meant to say to him, explain what happened. So what actually happened there? Are we referring to I think he's, there was there was a yeah, like there was some members suspended who seemed to believe that there was some sort of underground LGBT somehow. like dark hand that was like moving <laughs> chess pieces about to get rid of their guys and replace them with it, it guys was, out for India. It was a bit crazy. Aye, uh, it was there was a couple of people who'd been found to have posted anti Semitic comment yeah. or suspected anti Semitic yeah. comment online. But then the fact they got suspended became nothing to do with the fact that they'd posted that anti-Semitic comment. It was us. It was yeah. for India that had done this and we were just like... And there wasn't even steps. It was like one giant leap. It wasn't like, so I seen this and that person said that and then this. There was no... It was like, this guy said something that could be perceived as anti-Semitic. So it must have it been must the gays. Have been. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was the gays. It doesn't add up at all. It just doesn't correlate. Yeah. And that's something that I see quite a lot. I was going to say, do you think it was a a distraction for the fact that they, instead of having to come out and explain what happened Uh or or come out and say why they weren't, just that these people have been have have been after me. This is something that sort of relates back to what we were talking about earlier, and we were referring to the internet and referring to social media. Is is that the amount of batshit crazy conspiracy theories that get legs and people start to jump on it? Is just it's mind blowing. Ah, it's it, going to be so counterproductive for an organisation like yourself, where you're actually trying to clarify and help people get to a point where they understand your issues and they support them and they'll go out and vote behind them. You know what I mean? To be faced by so much like deliberate and wild misinformation must be like quite counterproductive for you a lot of the time. Ah, it can be challenging at times. Like after the the newspaper article came out, basically mm-hmm. blaming the gays for getting people suspended. We're then sitting trying to put out a counter statement. I seen that when, was quite when we should be doing other stuff. I was quite level. You know that that shouldn't be what we have to focus in the on. Middle of a general election campaign. I used to be doing chatting about how we haven't got someone suspended. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, I was talking like four or five days before people go to the polls. It's, exactly it's, it, was, it felt very much like a hatchet job to me, to be honest with you. I think this is indicative of just the world, the, pol- the political world that we live in now, that we get. It's like the Royal Rumble when, like, I mean, how how does a guy like Boris Johnson get a majority in 2019? A guy that has never explained his Islamophobic statements, he's never explained his homophobic statements. He's got the full bingo card. He's got the full bingo card. And yet, and yet, people still voted this guy in at a record level. And it's almost, I mean, in the, the day after, I seen an article where it was saying that there was 140 lies found on the conservative, part of, like, mm-hmm. social media posts. Yeah. There was zero on the Labour side. Now, I voted SNP, and I, I, I was an absolute bawher away from voting Labour. The reason for that being is that I wanted to get rid of a conservative government. So if I'd lived in England, I'd have voted Labour. Mm-hmm. But yeah. because I live uh-huh. in Scotland and I want independence, but... I had 
other things that were staring me right in the face that was like we need to deal with Brexit we need to deal with all of these things yeah. and and if if it had meant that the local Tory guy didn't get in by voting Labour I would have voted Labour I'd have gave my vote to Labour I didn't I voted SNP and I'm glad that I did now because of I'm the representation <laughs> the representation that SNP have took back to Westminster is only I mean that was I mean the, the next day Sean was saying to me like I just I feel so gutted and I was like change your focus uh Boris Johnson and put it into mm -hmm. Scotland and just think about the representation that we're going to get and try and put a positive spin on it um but we there, there needs to be a a grip on the social media side of stuff because we'll never get out of this I don't think that unless the platforms themselves take some sort of responsibility for the the fake news that gets pushed on the platform, we'll never get out of this. People are just going down a rabbit hole and they're spiralling. Yeah. And they don't, they can't even see the woods for the trees. The, the amount of times that people had to go, like, this here isn't anti-Semitic, and people just continually said, but that's anti-Semitism, yeah. and basically what we're talking about is anti-Israeli. Like mm. saying that if you're anti-America, somehow you're anti-Christian, or if you don't like Italy, then that means you're against the Pope. It's like... I don't understand how we I, get to these conclusions. I, I totally. I think we're about getting a wee bit sort of sidetracked. No, in that fuck respect, it. I want to be I fair. rant. I want to <laughs> go, go for it. Let's not let's take on the entire LGBTQ movement and anti Semitism in the one show. Let's, let's sort of spread them out a wee bit. Um, in terms of the recent election, like what parts of your agenda do you expect to see the SNP going represent in Westminster? Because they've got a tough gig down there. They are the third biggest party. But we all know that there is no meaningful power available to the, the SNP at Westminster. So is there, again, that sort of cross-party thing happening both at a Scottish level and at a national level where your representatives can speak on a UK-wide basis way, representatives for Labour and the Greens and the Lib Dems and so on and so forth to maybe, you know, make progress on a UK-wide level while we're actually stuck here? Aye, well, I think that's been the, you know, the whole take since this Brexit thing came in, mm -hmm. you know, and I think, you know, Nicola Sturgeon's come out and said repeatedly, it's about trying to get a better deal for the whole UK. It's not, although we've always wanted Scottish independence, we believed that the UK should stay in the, the European Union. Mm -hmm. So we were fighting for the whole of the UK, you know. Mm -hmm. So I do think there is an importance of having a large SNP presence down at Westminster. Yeah. Because they're still going to be pushing that progressive movement. Absolutely, they've had some great successes um, outsider. You know the chambers with you know the cherry case and stuff like that. So they are still capable of making an impact at a national level. Mm. But in terms of legislation, in the face of what will almost be a kind of semi Dickensian like conservative government for the next five years, like what kind of challenges do you expect to face if we're still here? Do you expect to see progress on? Some of your issues on a UK wide level are these more just sort of concentrating at, you know, the sort of Holyrood and sort of Scottish levels. I think if we pass the Gender uh, Recognition mm -hmm. Act reforms, once we've done that, we can then put pressure on the UK government to follow what we've done. Right. Have. So getting it passed in Scotland is a big thing so that we can then put that pressure on the yeah. UK government to do the same so that everyone across the UK. Those trans can change their birth certificate. Fair enough. Um, so, in terms of where are we now? How likely do you think that that is? Oh, the sixty-four thousand dollar question. 
Because, I mean, it, it almost seems like the ultra-right wing's been in bold. They'll, they'll be invigorated and they'll feel like they are. It's almost like, we're right. You know and what I mean? Like, that's that, yes. been hiding in fridges. Like, they uh-huh. don't need to answer. <laughs> they don't really need to answer to anybody at this point, do mm. they? You know what I mean? I, I just, I'm, I would be very, very doubtful that that would, putting that, passing that law here would translate to putting pressure on a government down there that basically just doesn't care. I think it's a domino effect button though. They did start to talk about it, didn't they? they? The UK government have done a consultation Uh on GRA. I don't think they've actually produced the results of what the Mm -hmm. consultation was. Okay. And obviously, with all the latest shenanigans with Brexit and Boris getting in, all that's been kind of sidetracked. Yeah. And I, I would suspect that it would be quite easy for the Conservative government at this point in time just to never talk about it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, yeah. But I think for what Lauren's saying, if the Scottish government, they pass the bill up here, it does then put pressure on them. Just because they don't, want to look, they don't want to look bad. It's like, uh-huh. oh, well, well, they've actually become a more progressive country than us. It kind of shows us up. So maybe we should do something about it. We this. had a similar mm-hmm. thing to yeah. an extent with marriage equality, didn't we? Where... Marriage equality had an almost kind of like domino effect, whereas as one country started to pass it, then a neighbouring country, and so mm. on and so forth. So, mm. I think there is maybe, the, as I say, probably a better chance in that respect, where if Scotland was able to make itself a bastion for, you know, the rights of people affected by GRA laws and Equality Act laws and stuff like that, that you know, other countries, you know, the Irish and the Welsh or whatever, with their independent assemblies or their devolved chambers and stuff like that, can actually look and go, do you know what? That's within a remit to sort of follow suit. So, you know, there's I don't think there's ever really a downside to leading by example. You know what I mean? So oh, in terms never, of aye, you would never ever be like, don't nah, no bother. But <laughs> aye, aye, absolutely. Like I just I just don't see that Tory this Tory government mm-hmm. being even interested. Yeah. yeah I mean there's well, a di- there's a difference between and I, I didn't like the guy, but there's a difference between Cameron's sort of centrist Tory government and what mm. is gonna be the Boris Johnson um, right. Trumpist yes. conservative yeah. government that we're going to face for the next five years is already chat of I'm just doing a no deal. Use his majority to barter whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of like the the GRA and Equality Act and stuff that we've touched on a few times, I know at the minute, um, as we I think we touched on at the start of the show, the Scottish government has started its its consultation at the minute. Uh-huh. Um, I think a lot of people seem to be under the impression that. It's running at Christmas so that people miss it. But I say again, it, it runs to what March, April time or something. In the middle of that. So again, we're we're looking at another example of just wild misinformation. Yeah. Find yeah. To so we, they think that putting it through at Christmas is going to be a way of sneaking it through. Aye. Uh, could, even uh, though it runs okay. to like April. Aye, fair enough. And even if everyone's going to be off work and have more spare time. Exactly. <laughs> Probably more engaged. Two weeks to actually I, fill I, it. Absolutely. But, I think, I think the whole thing's been full of misinformation. Even if you look at the last consultation and people are going, well, like, why are people outside Scotland allowed to, to respond to this consultation? I'm going, well, you don't understand the Act then, because the Act basically says, if you've got a Scottish birth certificate, this law applies to you. Yeah. So, you know, and I was talking to somebody yesterday who was like, oh, I've got a Scottish birth certificate. Does this mean if this goes through, I can apply? And I'm like, aye, it does, even Absolutely. though they live in England. Mm-hmm they would be able to go through the Scottish gender recognition process. So this is why, you know, it's relevant to people all around the world Absolutely. that were born in Scotland. That's quite cool, actually. I mean, I, I don't know if, you know, there's a laws that protect 
their rights as Scottish people outside the country just on the basis of the birth certificate. Again, I'm sure people will tweet as with examples if there are. But I think that's a, a good step. I think if we're going to like go out and change things, that we need to make sure that we're we're covering the, you know the interest of as many people as possible on it. Um, so. <clears throat> I mean, is there is there main points about the Jerry? I mean, I think we can see he, yeah, <laughs> he's actually got some he's got more notes than us <laughs> the day, which is which is a rarity. So, as I mean, <laughs> obviously we don't we're no experts on it. It's not our experience. Is there you know issues that you want to highlight in relation to where it is just now or where it's going? Is there you know I, I talking guess, points you want to go out there for people to actually hear you know straight for the horse's mouth, so to speak? So where where it is now, um, you have to live a minimum two years um, as who you say you are basically okay. you know you've got to back that up so that straight away just even before we go into the bit where we're like debunking where you get the sort of loony online people that's like <laughs> there's going to just be a predator <laughs> that just puts a dress on and then that's them they get access to my wee girl on the toilet which is probably the main argument that we, we one of the stupid so you ones need either. to live for two years so straight away well, you're that, like, well we're looking to that's the current system that. uh-huh so the current system is two years, mm-hmm. but one of the proposal is putting that down to three months. Okay. But also with a three month reflection period mm-hmm. okay. as well. So if, if once you've lived for three months, you can approach the Register of Scotland and say, right, I want to go through this process. Right. And, and they'll re- they'll record that and go, right, okay. And then you get a three month period where they'll come back and say, right, okay. are you sure you want to yeah. still go through this? So it's a so six months. So it'll be a six months period. At least six months. So there's no way... Somebody can just get caught in the toilet and turn around and go, but actually, I'm a woman. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Do you know what I mean? That, that's so that, nonsense. That's just nonsense. Aye, so that's like also point number it's, one. Good. It's against the law to falsely claim your gender. You can be in prison for up to two years, is it, if you're found falsely? I've. Obviously, you're trying to escape consequences. Yeah. Part of the talking point around this has been, you know, predatory men might use it as a means of how they get access to women. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Um, and it is important to know, even going through this process, if you date it falsely, apart from the fact if you've committed a criminal offence, you're going to get done for that. Yep. You would also get done for the fact that if you've used this law to get access to that space, mm-hmm. then you're going to get that offence on top of that. Yeah. I mean, that, just in terms of the conversation we've had there, it would be a level of preparation for, you know, stupidity that, you know, you would need to wait six months. I take it. I've never been a predatory guy, but. To me, it would be a whole lot easier just to get a job as a cleaner in a toilet. Yeah. They'd go through all that. Yep. Do you know what I mean? There's so many easier ways Bouncing that guys already did. Well, of things. historically as well, like just getting access to whatever, like the, yeah. the, the I mean, wanting to sort of be a, like a predator. Aye, sexual predators it, already work, they already seek out schools and places exactly. where they're going to like, scout yeah, clubs exactly. and football clubs and all it's, the hunters are horrible examples we've already seen. Like, why you would like, wait six months the to then behave like that is just an absolute nonsense. That's part, of the, that's part of how I feel about it is, is that you just, we were saying half mic before we came on, it's, like, it's men talking about other men taking advantage and it's like that's weird that's strange to me that that's the first thing that that you went to with us is like check that guy's hard drive (laughs) i'm kidding on phone operation you three Um, (laughs) but yeah i straight away like even just with that small bit of information educating we're currently two years we're looking to take it down to six months you're like straight away that argument that's been made online is just fucking bullshit. Aye. And you may as well just bin it. I like smoke now and Aye, absolutely. So in terms of one of the things when it comes to this sort of period of 
like living who as who you are and then the periods of reflection and stuff like that. Is there is there some sort of like evidentiary process? Because I'd imagine that'd be again quite might be something that put people off. Is this You need to sign a declaration, don't you? To declare that you've been li- you've been ah, you've been living as who you are for, for okay. that three months period. So that's the legal part. Mm-hmm. You know, so if somebody found well you've actually not been doing that then that's where you'd be breaking the law. Even right. if you've not done anything else, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's like a predatory guy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Just if you've if you've signed that declaration and you haven't been living as, as who you say you're for three months period, mm-hmm. then that would be you breaking the law. And is the that sort of, you know, two sets of three months, is that something that as an organisation you're happy with? Is, or, or is that something that you would like to see changed in any way? It's obviously something... We've not had a lot of time to discuss since the bill came out mm-hmm. yesterday. You know, really pleased to see, you know, that the government are, are pushing progressive legislation, you know, to go for two years and a psychiatric diagnosis to no psychiatric diagnosis in a six-month period. So currently you need a psychiatric yeah. diagnosis. Currently you also need a psychiatric diagnosis. From a medical profession. That's, that, which is, and as I've said earlier, they've just moved it from... You know, for the DSM or whatever the, the mental health conditions, the sexual health. So it's no classed as a, a psychiatric condition anymore. So removing that psychiatric so that barrier makes, uh, makes sense to me. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And most people, you know, it's you that know you're trans. It's no a doctor that knows. Exactly. Mm-hmm. The doctor's basically just confirming what you're telling them, mm-hmm. or making sure there's nothing else going on. Yeah. That might be making you think that way. Mm-hmm. You know, every trans person I know, it's them that know they're trans. They go and tell the doctor. It's not like, I guess, in most health conditions, you go to the doctor and then the doctor says, right, this is what's yeah. wrong with you. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen with trans people generally. Aye, you're not sitting in a GP surgery and the GP goes, you might want to sit down, I've got something to tell you. <laughs> like, you're actually a transsexual and you're like, Jesus Christ, man, no way. You know what I mean? Like, aye. Uh, <laughs> aye. It doesn't quite work like that. No, I can't imagine that it does. So, like, in an ideal world, let's take out what, what's there now and what might be coming in the future. What is... What is the legislation that protects the members of your organisation look like in an ideal world? Do you have a, a kind of like gold standard that you're looking to work towards or anything like that? I mean, I think for me, you know, you did mention are we happy with the, the six months thing? And, you know, there would be some debate about whether we agree with that or no, whether mm-hmm. it should just be a straight declaration. Why do you have to wait three months? You know, I, I am saying this is progressive, but you know, progress doesn't just stop. Yeah, yeah. Where do we want that to eventually end up? Absolutely. Um, we need to bring up non-binary people. Yeah. Because non-binary yeah, people have yeah. been dropped from the legislation that's being proposed. Okay. And I think that's a big move that we still need. We need to have to non-binary people mm-hmm. legally recognised. I think that even for my echo chamber that I live in online, I think that it would actually probably, and, and it might be like wild to ask this, but... What is a non-binary person? There's a load of stuff that you see people just don't understand it. They don't, they're just like, what is that? And they think that it's, aye, they don't, they just don't get it. They just don't understand it. I think it would probably be, what is the definition of like non-binary? I'll try and explain that as best I can. but mm-hmm. I, 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 I am don't not, want to be <laughs> finding anything and get something wrong. I mm-hmm. am not a non-binary person. Mm-hmm. It's obviously much better getting a non-binary person yeah. to define who they are. Absolutely. But obviously, with, if anybody wants to come in and break it down for us, they're more than welcome. Absolutely. Aye, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 
basically a non-binary person just does not identify as male or female. Yeah. Okay. You know, they don't feel like either of those places are who they are. Right. And so that can take that can take a whole range. That. You could be I mean it is gender non-conforming and it's no. Okay. Some non-binary people will go through some aspects of surgery. They might take hormones, they might not. Mm-hmm. You know, you can get masculine presenting non-binary people, you can get feminine presenting non-binary people. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes when people think non-binary, just think, right, in the middle, straight down, mm-hmm. androgynous, but it's no as simple as that. Yeah. It's people just saying, no, this doesn't work. You know, I, I guess in some ways saying, somebody decided someday, like we, seem, we like to think this is a fact that there's just male and female. Somebody must have decided someday that's what we were going to go with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And to me, this makes complete sense. People are waking up now and going, actually, no. Biology's never been as simple as that. Mm-hmm. You know, human beings are never as simple as that. So why do we just have these two boxes for everything? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're, we're, we're making our own space, basically. Okay. And we want society to acknowledge that. I think my understanding okay. of non-binary is, is admittedly pretty superficial. In, in my brain, I've always sort of processed it as people who don't fit within those standard blue equals boy, pink equals girl sort of stereotypes. And there's that sort of spectrum in the middle of people that have any number of sort of combinations of these things that, you know, make up who they are as a person. And I'm kind of like in that space again where I was with my mate that I was talking about previously where she went, I'm gay and I was like, cool, do, we, do people still care about that? But no, to the extent with non-binary is that like I, I kind of hear it and I go, well, hold on a minute. We already like believe in and fight for equality as a society. Like when you're saying that the non-binary people being dropped for this legislation is a really big thing. Like, wh- why is that the case? Because if we're accepting as a you know largely progressive society, what protections are not in place for them already by for legislation that's already there? I can get when there's. A physical transition happening with trans people but again as you say with non-binary that's not always the case so like what what are they missing in law that isn't already there because i'm it's something that i'm completely blind to in that respect what, what would I, the, the i guess in one part it's about being legally acknowledged as who you are and mm-hmm. in the same way it would be for a binary trans person yeah you know so one of the things that the smp manifesto said the lgb manifesto for the election mm-hmm was saying was about challenging the UK government to allow non-binary people to have an X on This is the X on the passport. Passport and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's just, that they don't have to be identified in legal documentation Mm -hmm. as something they're saying they're quite clearly not, you know, but you still have to, because of the systems we've got, you still have to pick male or female and they're going, well, if I'm no one of them, where, where am I supposed to go? Yeah. So I want my documentation to match who I am in the same way you want yours to match who you are. Okay. No, no, again, that's, that's a completely. I think when it's explained like that, we a sort of gain a point of view and gives you a sense of sort of empathy to go. Like, I, I'm getting this because everywhere it's you go, that. it is man and woman and exactly, yeah. male and female. And yeah. then alienated marginalized alienated like you don't fit into anywhere in the actual society you don't feel accepted and when i think about it like that that. i the impact on the individual i i do get it yeah i I totally do get it and that's where again we we go back to creating narratives around these things helps some people understand there'll be people out there that will never understand it and there'll be people out there that will always shitpost just because Mm. that's just who they are 
but like when you see examples there in sort of mainstream society, like the Sam Smith thing, where they come out and say they yeah, just want to be referred to as they and wore a blouse to an award ceremony. Oh, people the uproar the was insane. Wow. It was so like, why do you care? It doesn't affect them. <laughs> <laughs> it's their life. It's exactly. It's people like, coming out and saying, he's crazy for wanting that. They're like, you're crazy for thinking that it's an issue, that it's, it's something it's, that you should be commenting on, pal. It absolutely does not affect anyone Aye. at all. Like, uh-huh. what influences Only affects over him. your life? Exactly. So it's not what I mean about the non-binary thing. Is... happy and feel comfortable. Uh-huh. Like, That's what I mean about when I say, I you know, with the non-binary, it. I kind of go... Or did did we does this not already fixed? Did we not already do this with with other things? Because I see a guy in makeup and a blouse on the front page of newspaper and go, Aye, cool. It, it doesn't. You know what I mean? Like, then I forget that that's not what everybody does. You know what I mean? I think as well. Sometimes there's a there's a big kind of mismatch between gender non-conforming and what trans and non-binary is. Because mm-hmm. gender non-conforming has always existed as well. Yeah. You know, and that's obviously something that we should be driving for, you know, people should never get discriminated against for how they present themselves in the Absolutely. world. Mm-hmm. I have seen some stuff, though, which kind of thinks it's like, so trans people are just buying into gender stereotypes, right? Some trans people do and some trans people don't because we're as individual as everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like to think, apart from the fact I've got colourful hair, I don't generally buy into female stereotypes. I drive a huge motor and I'm usually rocking about in jeans and a top and trainers okay. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Hardly ever wear makeup. Yeah. It wasn't about gender stereotypes for me. Yeah. It was about my body just didn't match. Uh-huh. And I think that, that the, the the very few trans people that I have met and encountered in real life, that is what it's like. And the the gender stereotype that you're saying absolutely there are people out there that do exist like that, but that is one of the things is like all trans people or all trans women are just perpetuating this sort of... I like you're a parody of exactly, Exactly. It's almost, exactly. It's almost yep. Yep. just in a lot of places, uh-huh. but again, that's not the actual reality when you mm-hmm. meet people. And I think that that's, that, this is why we're, we're keen to have this conversation is once you actually talk about real life situations, it does not match what you're what, seeing, what you're seeing online, online or in the media because yeah. it's not just... It's not just Twitter. It, yeah, this, this narrative and this way of speaking about this issue actually exists in newspapers and... Um, the right exactly. There's just the general zeitgeist. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think for me as a, as a trans woman, actually, what I've noticed is it often feels like trans women are held to some kind of higher standard than anybody else, right? So if, if you actually present to female, they'll call you a parody. They'll say, well, you're just presenting yourself as yep. how society expects a woman to look or how a man wants a woman to look. Yeah. But if you present yourself to male, they're like, well, you're not doing it right. Yeah. yeah. You, mm. you've, you've still got facial you hair. Or you've got... There's aye, a so it's standard like, that you need to live up to. to but when they talk about I, when they talk about non-trans women, they're saying, well, non-trans women should be able to present themselves the however way, they like. Way they like. But mm. when trans women do that, yeah. you're not getting it right. So I'm like, hold on a minute, how are we not playing to the same rules as everybody else? Mm-hmm. How do you not get this? I can be a woman and I can be butch femme, whatever. I'm still a woman. Mm-hmm. That's I, I think that that's that's another point that I've never really thought about is is that I women defining themselves as who they want to be as a female is celebrated and like encouraged. But if you're too feminine as trans, it's like well patriarchy. 
And if you're if you're not feminine enough, then it's well, you're no trans. Like, why why do you know just identify as being male? And that that's another sort of point of view. Mm-hmm. Just getting to people, another sort of way of explaining it to people that we shouldn't be. I I think that as we're talking about this, I'm starting to go. This shouldn't be something that we. I again back to that. You shouldn't need to explain yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you should just be who you are and uh, be allowed to be who you are. Exactly. And I so I, this is so in terms people have real conversations with people, but they it kind of clicks with them. I think, but it's, it's things like Twitter that create this big drama around it, yeah. this moral panic. Tell you, I what like, I would say to anybody then is go and engage with a exactly. real person. Don't post online yep. about I need to explain to me because X, Y, and Z. How about you go out and you actually just secret real people and have conversations with people and talk to each other about I these things instead of just fucking I've, being I've shite online. I've yeah, done it, it twice all the time. so far where we actual self-declared gender critical people. Right. And we've had a bit of conversation online and I've always said, right, as long as we're starting from a point of mutual respect, if you start calling me a man or anything else, I'm like, that's no mutual respect. Absolutely, Absolutely not. Right. If we're starting from a point of mutual respect, I'm quite happy to come and talk to you. Let's have a chat and go for coffee, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I've met two separate women, one in Edinburgh, one down in Hamilton, and sat for two hours with both of them. And we actually agreed on a hell of a lot more than we disagreed on. There might have been minor points, mm-hmm. you know, like whether trans kids should get puberty blockers or stuff like that. Yeah. But the main points around trans women using toilets and changing rooms and everything else, mm-hmm. there was no debate. It was a non-issue. It was a Aye. non-issue. And that's kind of something we see a lot, because... As as your organisation is on the kind of intersection of two really like hot topic debates, Scottish independence and obviously you know you know gender and identity and sexual uh, you know preferences and all these other things that people get hot under the collar about. Like now, both of those subjects can at times, particularly online, get pretty toxic. Um, like I mean, how do you how do you cope? Well, you know what I mean? Because, I mean, you are obviously a really well-put-together organisation with clear goals that you are out there working towards. You will have everyday lives that you have got to handle. To add that additional layer, not just a gender-critical whatever, but also, you know, nationalism and whatnot. I mean, it's like, you are out there swinging, picking fights, man. Like, how do you keep up with it? I'm, I think I'm lucky in respect. I don't perceive too much backlash on like I'm not a trans person mm-hmm. stuff um so I know you get quite a lot of abuse and hassle on Twitter which has resulted in you locking your account mm. and stuff like that and a few times so is it just a case of just removing yourself from the situation really most of the time um I mean I've I've been at the point a few months back of having to get the police involved mm-hmm. um because people were going on Twitter try find initially try to find out which branch of the SNP I was in because I was elected as a branch women's officer. Yep. And then finding out what branch I was in. Uh, and that was posted. And I've followed you online, online. For, on my personal account for quite a while and I don't think I've ever come across anything that was anything other than reasonable. You know what I mean? That I, the fact I, that you have I, to then lock yourself <laughs> away is, is it's, unfortunate. It's the, it was like any time you kind of got in the, involved in the debate, I hate even calling it a debate. Yeah. But if you tried to you know, explain your point of view to people or whatever, you would just get a pile on. Yeah. Which is you know, insane. And I had a guy the other week, even though I've got a locked account, there was a guy tagged me in this post 
basically saying, you know, Emma Cuthbertson and her cronies should get flung out of the SNP or whatever. You know, and I'm like, so even though I've got a locked account, I'm getting notifications for somebody tagging me. Like uh-huh. when I looked up, he's still doing in England somewhere. I have no idea who he is. He's uh-huh. obviously never met me. I'm going, what's what's going on? You know, mm-hmm. it's the fact that you're trying to engage in conversation about something that's gonna like directly affect your life, and you're being <laughs> shut out of it basically every time you speak about it, even though it should be well, that, people like yourselves that are speaking about it. Mm-hmm. A lot of times in 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 this debate that's came up. We get a lot of the, this is what I struggle with, we get a lot of the gender critical people, and some of them are prominent figures. I'll not name names, but everybody yeah, knows who I they are. I think we'll know who they are. Well, I certainly know who you're probably referencing. But, but I, they keep talking about women being silenced, and they keep having newspaper articles to say that women are being silenced, that, that you know, they're holding events at the Scottish Parliament to say women are being silenced. And I've never seen them stand up once and talk about anybody that spoke up for trans equality. You know, whether we had the Women in Equalities convener mm. last year who got a massive amount of abuse of Adriana Spears, yeah. who's the new women's convener. Aye, the traffic that gets and is actually is heavily pregnant. Aye, eight months pregnant, she to actually she's say, guys, I'm eight months pregnant, going to back after her. You know, it's, and that's that's uh, mental. And I, I, I know even one of the women I met after talking to her briefly on Twitter, and she had a post... No saying what side of the GRA debate her in. She was mm-hmm. on, she was just saying, right, I've, I've gone and met Emma, we had a good chat, it was really helpful, blah, blah, blah. That was all she said. She, you know, it's gave me food for thought. She got attacked by other gender critical people mm. to the point she had to close her Twitter account down. And I'm like, what, 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 well, what do these people what not get? You know? It's not a it's, debate. It's yeah. becoming an ideological thing, yeah, isn't it? And I think that a lot... Radical. Yeah, and I think that it's possibly rooted in religion or I don't, I don't know where it comes from but I think it's just I don't know man like I, I think it, these these types of people are just so closed off do you know what I, I mean it's, it's, I think there are sometimes and again for somebody who largely doesn't have a horse in the race it's again as we say no experience and stuff like that like there have been times where I've seen points broad points made by people who are gender critical where I've went, well, do you know what? As an outsider, I can see that maybe that headline needs to be looked into a bit more. But the unfortunate thing is that even if some of these more sort of radical elements make on the surface of what, what might have been a point that needs to at least be addressed, like the rhetoric that immediately follows it is so toxic that any valid point or even partially valid point they may have is completely lost it. by their rhetoric. Yeah. So, yeah. Is like, mm-hmm. so I think in terms of, we were talking uh, before the show, um, like the, the tie campaign, so, you know, and, uh, I think it's trans-inclusive education. So, you know, I can get why somebody would go, well, at what point in a child's life is the most appropriate time to have that conversation? And I would get that that in itself might be a, a vaguely sort of valid point in terms of the wider debate, but then for it to be, no, it's, it should never be discussed. It should be, and all these, again, tropes about impression on little kids and all that kind of stuff comes into play that we've had for 30, 40 years in relation to any other, you know, part of the movement. And that's where I get lost is that I think the whole conversation has become so heated and so toxic that both sides maybe lose valid points in the rhetoric that follows up, you know, what they've said or, you know, what they're trying to promote. Um, and I think that's a shame. So it is because... 
It's not just trans inclusive. Uh, it's it's LGBTI. Right. Education. Like, Sorry. So it's inclusive of. It's not just trans, like going trans education people. Mm-hmm. It's about LGBT, like the full that it's making sure that everyone right. is included and represented in the education you've been taught, so that like kids who might feel different and stuff. Like mm-hmm. can relate and aye. can aye, learn aye. the same and way that every the reality else does. Of the situation is is that it it's there, and it's and it, it exists in mm. for you. You kind of wish it away. Now. Aye, in for you. Aye, in for you. Just not. for some somehow for you to want your kid to come out at eighteen at school mm. and be like, oh, and by the way, like <laughs> there's this so like you would be like, no, I want my children to know about these things and and. But then I think school I'm has a, a responsibility so to teach kids more about the world because I think when I came out of school, I felt like I had this great academic education, but I had no point of reference for what actually you know I didn't know how to pay a bill, I didn't know about I went to a Catholic school, you know, we didn't get talked to about gay people, we didn't get talked to about any of that experience that you know, sort of you know, an RC school and stuff like that. So I think the mere real-world scenarios and real-life things that we can put in front of kids at a school age is, right. is going to be vital because they need to go and live in the world. And I, you know I, what I mean? I think that's it. I think, I think when people still think LGBT, they think sex. You know, so they think, oh, they're going to be going out to schools and telling kids all about sex. Mm. And it's like, well, no, but no. You know, hopefully once they reach an appropriate age, mm-hmm. I, you know, we will be talking about... Um, uh-huh. From a gay perspective, and mm-hmm. I to, to make sure they have healthy relationships, yep. and safe relationships. Mm-hmm. But when we're talking about younger kids, it's it's showing them there's a diversity of families and everything else. It's like, oh, some people have two dads, some people have two mums, some yep. people have, you know, will have Again, whole that's a conversation too. we would have never that's, had at school. That's just you know so I mean, that what? I was involved a few years ago with a, a, a lassie with a, a kid at school. And it's so that when she goes to school, she can talk about the fact, oh, I've got two mums. Mm-hmm. And yep. oh, we're making Mother's Day cards, right? Can I make two? Absolutely. Because I've got two of them. So I think feeling different is something that has an impact on kids. Like, yeah, if they absolutely. don't feel like they're accepted or what is, Oof, I mean, aye. that that's just huge. And for, I, I can't even, I can't imagine what it would be like for a kid to have two dads or two mums and go to school and them for it to be like, it's mummy and daddy and that's mm. it. And then you're sort of sitting there going, I don't fit in here. And then bully, and then the bullies, uh-huh. and then all of these situations come up and they just don't understand it. I think that the education system needs to move forward in radical ways. Like Matt's saying, like teaching people to actually live in a modern world and know what fucking Pythagoras and uh-huh. shit that you'll never ever use in your life. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like what, why are we not teaching? That's a, that's a big, big issue. But I think that there is a huge issue about making kids... No, even feel, but letting them know that the situation that they grow up in is normal, that it exists, Aye, and that they don't need to feel different options. Like this is how people live their lives. Absolutely. I, I don't know what they think, like the impact it's going to have. It's not going to make people be gay because that, being that, gay that, is not a choice. Uh, yeah, I think that's a, a huge yeah, misconception. Yeah. Yeah. Is that people gonna... think if we start educating young kids about what it is to be lesbian, gay, bi, trans then they will become that and you're like you don't understand how a fucking human being works dude like or like that is so wild that you think something like gay conversion therapy is bullshit then the reverse is also bullshit Uh because if you can't stop somebody from being gay by conversion therapy you can't turn somebody gay you can't turn somebody trans you can't you know what i mean we've spent decades 
living in a homophobic and transphobic world. Mm-hmm. And straight people still keep having LGBT kids. Doesn't matter what we do, straight people still keep having LGBT kids. Mm-hmm. Aye. Aye. No matter how we <laughs> tell them that, that the only thing that exists is straight women and men, Aye, they and still exist. So, I think that if, I mean, I would have absolutely no doubt that there would be per, perhaps a percentage of people that would embrace their sexuality earlier in life but there's nothing stopping them doing that later in life do you know what i mean like it's going to happen anyway and i think that the 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 people or that that would be impacted by that it would be positive it would be a positive experience for them to actually go i feel like that and that might be and and then they don't get through situations of having forcing themselves into relationships with people that they, they don't want to be in relationships with because that's how they are going to feel normal or fit in in some way. So I think that educating kids on this thing, uh, like uh, gender and sexual orientation and all these things is going to have a positive impact on people and ultimately everybody else like run about them. I know so. a number of people in my life, again, that will know mentioned by name, who have struggled with who they were at school and, and through their early adult life and stuff like that because... There wasn't an example of what a healthy version of who they are looked like that they could look to. It was looked down on, it was whispers, it was, you know, all these kind of things. And I think the more that we date out in the open, the less confusion people are going to have, the less, you know, criticism and stuff. I mean, we've had a very sort of simple terms conversation about some really big issues and already I'm like, wow, well, I, I, you know... I feel a lot more clarity just for sitting having this sort Absolutely. of civil conversation about some really sort of broad strokes parts of the issues that he's have been facing. And that's us just sitting chatting for an hour. Now, if there's an actual legitimate, meaningful attempt to actually educate people, then maybe the people in my generation who, or the generation before who struggled with being trans and non-binary and homosexual and all the rest, maybe they don't need to go through that. You know what I mean? Like, maybe they actually see positive examples of who they are out there in the world and get to feel better about themselves much earlier in life. You know what I mean? A lot less uh, people having to come to terms with themselves at like 15 years old. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I guess for me, that's what we're about. Yep. You know what I mean? It's looking back at maybe some of the experiences we've gone through and gone, we don't want people to have to go through that. Mm-hmm. How do we make it better for the next one? You know, how do we how do we get people growing up where they actually feel good about themselves? Mm-hmm. And they grow up with a great self-esteem Absolutely. when they're gay or they're trans or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're not growing up with shame and, and, and all the rest of it mm-hmm. for feeling like they don't fit in or they're mm-hmm. normal. Because everybody's, whatever flipping normal is, I've no idea. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Aye, exactly. It's not a thing. It's just a shame that this is a radical idea to make people really, just to, that statement there, just want the next generation of people to grow up no feeling like... Right. Aye, yeah. and feeling normal in air quotes mm. and yeah. that is radical people <laughs> why is that radical no, no. like it's just i it's mind-blowing yeah, i didn't I, when i was at school i didn't come out until i left school because of the talk like the toxic the toxicity uh-huh. say that word that was around things like gay people bisexual people things mm-hmm. like that but the difference that having lgbt inclusive education from like a young age normalising it, like people don't look at you any different because of your sexuality Absolutely. that would have made such a difference to me And mm-hmm. like, Do you think that we're actually getting to that place because you do see a lot of younger people talk about and even for the, the when I, I, 
I was at school and I played in a band and I went back to school to play. So we were like, I don't know why they it's thought that we were some sort of shining light of how their school <laughs> could end up coming back in a rock band. Like, uh, yeah. But we went back and just talking to like a couple of the teachers and one of them was I saying like... I actually showed up drunk to that, which probably wasn't so, the best uh, idea. Probably. <laughs> but the, the, there was a teacher there and they were talking about how there was like gay boys at the school and to me in the east end of Glasgow I was like whoa because I'd never encountered I definitely did they just weren't they they just didn't know or whatever it was it just wasn't a thing and do you think that that we're starting to see progress that is just won't be halted in the younger generations as these things become more acceptable to, to sort of like talk about and be part of life I think so yeah you can see the difference in generations the way that people talk and their acceptance and tolerance levels. Mm. Um, I find like a lot of a lot of my friends like no one cared. Well, the same way you were saying, you were like no one cares. Mm-hmm. And I know it's a hard. You're trying to be supportive. Yeah, and it does matter. But they didn't. They didn't change their opinion on me. And the same with like people younger than me. They, everyone, I don't know. They just they get it. They yeah. don't mind. They're like it's not a big. deal. you can only you don't have yeah, a, whereas, an experience for twenty years ago that you can compare it to. You've only got your uh-huh. own. Yeah, whereas I found it older people have found it more difficult to process like mm-hmm. older some older like family members and things right. like that have maybe struggled accepting it more and mm-hmm. understanding it more which is mad because the age difference like how can i we talk about generational gaps all the time my younger sister who's 15 understand it and not have any issues with it yet someone who's I don't know, like over the age of forty, can't grasp it and have some issues with it. Like I'm pretty sure she wasn't meaning you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that means it's good though that it is changing. Aye, we're seeing progress. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think as we as we go, and um, we're we're obviously way over the hour that we normally do, but we'll we'll still get a few points we're going to cover if you don't mind. Um, in terms of um the sort of wider movement we've obviously covered you know things like GRA and whatnot and some of the, the sort of targets you have is, is there other areas as not just as out for indie but as, as sort of members of your community that you want to see movement on in, in our society I mean what we kind of brought up before about non-binary mm-hmm. just maybe putting a bit more pressure on that and getting them the recognition that they also deserve yeah aye there definitely needs to be stuff on it it sometimes feels like I guess this is just my take. It sometimes feels at the moment like everything's about trans issues. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we're not really talking much about LGB. That doesn't mean LGB people don't still have of course. challenges to face. And I know one of the ones that was brought up in the, the recent manifesto was around asylum seekers and stuff like that. There's yeah. definitely mm-hmm. still a lot of stuff we can do. I, the trans community, certainly feels a bit behind and a bit to catch up. I guess for, for me and my community, there's a massive... This sounds absolutely scary, right? The GRA to us is an important but small change. Yep. The big stuff we want to move is how we get treated in employment, how we get treated in healthcare, and all that. that that's the stuff that will actually have a bigger impact on yeah. our lives. Mm-hmm. And it's like if we're getting this kind of backlash, we're asking for the right letter on my bus certificate. Mm-hmm. What kind of backlash are we going to get when we actually start asking for the stuff that's really going to make it's a huge difference in our lives? Yeah. yeah. You know, I know some of the stuff that came out in the impact assessments for the bill yesterday showing that trans people are a much higher percentage chance of being on the poverty line or under 20 grand a year. Yeah. And it's like, why? Mm. You know, I mean, I obviously have experiences of I and my challenges in trying to get employment since mm-hmm. I transitioned 15 years ago. 
I lost my job when I transitioned 15 years ago. That's the type of thing that I don't even, I I wouldn't have even, on the outside, it wouldn't even thought was possible. I wouldn't have thought that was even remotely a legitimate reason to try and either sack or manage somebody out of business, you know what I mean? Even like the the, the laws are better now. Like we we do obviously have laws that say you're not allowed to Mm -hmm. sack somebody just because they're trans. Yeah, but there's ways around these things. That's a really naive way of looking at things. Even when you go for interviews, they can't turn around and say you never got a job because you're trans. Absolutely. They just find different ways. Yeah. That's definitely something I would like to see more of, and I think it, it's something that, as we see more and more people in the workplace, it's got, it's got to be a positive thing, like anything that can help us there, because, I mean, it must be such an uncomfortable thing for people to, because you're going to be at your work 40 hours a week, and I, I remember probably one of the first sort of trans women that I ever encountered was in an old job of mine's, um, and she would... You know, go about our daily business like everything else. This was a big, big office environment and I was always conscious of the fact that every time she went up to go for a coffee or a tea or went out for a lunch that there was just, like, eyes on her constantly. You know what I mean? People, And it might have been an honest and genuine curiosity that maybe people weren't able to address. I don't know. But I think I always wondered on the other side of that that, again, it can be quite a really isolating experience and if you're there 40 hours a week, like, you again, you've got that choice between being deeply uncomfortable in a situation that maybe doesn't understand you properly and paying your bills and getting away from those sort of, you know, poverty sort of thresholds right. and stuff like that. So anywhere that can be improved in that area is going to be massive because people forget how big a part of their lives work is. Well, that, that, that was one of the one of the things that happened to me. I did 12-hour um, shifts and mm-hmm. I, I worked as a CNC machinist. So we did like 12 hours, two days, two nights. So I was always on with the same team of people. Mm-hmm. Sometimes if you were there in the day, there was office staff and all that, I don't know. But you were always there with the same group of people. And literally for the point that I transitioned, none of them would talk to me. So I would, spell, I would spend the four 12 hour shifts literally no communicating with another right. human being. Mm-hmm. You didn't stop being you? No. No. Okay, so in terms of that, I mean, where are we in... Way out for ended then. So I mean, what's what's next there? Are you wrapping up for Holyrood twenty one, or he's waiting to see how the hopes for a, a referendum pan out? It feels like we've got a lot on our plate right now. I mm-hmm. guess, um, but obviously, you know, we really need to try and encourage people. This consultation has just opened yesterday. Yep, it shuts at the end of March. You know, really, really important mm-hmm. that if you're supporting the trans community. To make your voice heard. Make make your voice heard. Please fill in this consultation. If you're not sure what to say on it, contact Contact. Out for Indy or contact any of the national LGBT orgs. They'll help you. I think a few people were actually encouraging folk to fill the consultation maybe a bit later so that you know, you're obviously working up to mere up-to-date information on what's going on and stuff like that. Is that something you would recommend or is it just about get it done as soon as you can? No, I would I would say wait. I know I think the LGBT orgs were putting out brief statements today mm-hmm. for, for people that wanted to just put in a quick response. Yep. Um for people that wanted a a more detailed response and put a more, lot more thought into how what they're going to say is wait until after They'll the new definitely year. Get time. And new organisations will be putting out more detailed thoughts around mm-hmm. around this stuff and how you can respond to it. And um consultation was at Scott Gov. Is it where where is it they can find it? Is it Scottish government website? Scottish government yeah. website. Uh, Excellent, cool. We'll share it on the publications like on Scott Government. Uh-huh. We'll find it and we'll share it with them. We'll, uh, we'll get a wee link up but alongside it. I think between that 
and a potential NDRF and then straight into the next Scottish government elections. And we're just after a general election. (laughs) But just to really feel like... Maybe worry about it after Christmas. A lot lot of time to breathe at the moment. Mm -hmm. Well, we appreciate the time that you've had for us today. Um, I know, obviously, I think, was it... Was it yourself that just had exams? Yeah, I, I just finished my exams. Just finished yesterday. exams yesterday, Actually, so yeah, yeah. Um, it's been a busy couple of weeks for you, so no doubt. So I mean, really, thanks for coming in. Right, I really appreciate how open you've been and like how engaging. And, and apologies if any of the way that we've approached it has maybe triggered anybody out there. It's not been with intention. We are genuinely here trying to like educate ourselves and and hopefully our audience a wee bit and, and hopefully you know what we've strategies contributed towards that mm-hmm. I, I would just echo that like just what i just say thanks for coming in and engaging because like we'd say daft mike we've tried to get a couple of people in and it's been it's not been a, a a case that they don't want to come in and speak to us it's just that they don't they don't really want to put themselves out there and like this type of situation and have this conversation so i, I genuinely admire the bravery that this it takes to a, come in and engage reasonable a debate I think I've seen since I actually tried to engage with the issue myself <laughs> I think there's a lot I mean I, that's why I appreciate you know you asking us to come in because I think there's a lot of people just scared to get involved in it yeah. mm-hmm. whereas what we really want to show people is if you sit down and have a <coughs> discussion about stuff it's generally never near as bad as you see on Twitter absolutely yeah. is not yeah. off. if you have yeah. questions feel free to contact Outfrindy we're happy to answer anything um Almost. You don't feel scared. Almost anything. Almost anything. Almost anything. Yeah, don't feel scared <laughs> to approach us or ask any questions or Lightning falls when there is panic in the sky Thunder calls when all but fear is lived to die You tell it like it's fantasy Something that you're never going to be Story every day. There's just one thing that I have to say that if we believe, if we trust in you, then I don't know why you say the things you do. You'd see a whole new way to be. Answers are not those lies to me Empty halls now filled with echoes of their past On our stars they lived each day like it's their last You tell it like it's fantasy Something that you're never going to be Same old story every day There's just one thing that I have to say That if we 